This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Raise your game. I'm Christine Wong. Now we are kicking off our monthly Leaderonomics show this year with Andrea Chu, marketing strategist of Leaderonomics. And today we're going to be discussing the relationship between freedom and leadership. So when we're talking about freedom today, I mean, let's define that a little bit. Uh, you know, are we conflating that with the concept of autonomy as well? Mm, yes. So I think in this context uh, with leadership, it is interchangeable with the words autonomy and self-agency. Mm. Um, yeah, so freedom of making decisions, freedom the, the way we think, the way we act, the, the things that we do. So in that sense, autonomy and self-agency yeah, is interchangeable. All right. What does freedom and autonomy or self-agency, what does that have to do with leadership? Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, I think it begins uh, 15, almost 15 years ago when uh, Leadromix started their research on how leaders are being built. And um, we call this the science of building leaders, right? It's a framework that uh, we developed over the years. And we looked into self-agency as one of the key components for leaders who are very successful. Mm. So that's, that's how it relates to leadership in a sense that if a child, especially in the, the young formative age of leadership, has a sense of self-agency or mm-hmm. in this case, freedom or autonomy to make decisions on certain things. They are able to also allow others to make decisions mm-hmm. based on certain information, based on their context, you know, their experiences and all that. It also brings a lot of openness um, that if I had that kind of freedom, therefore I should be giving people freedom. So mm. I mean that freedom is quite a big chunk, that autonomy that people give, that independence a leader gives its followers. I think that's very key. Mm. I mean, let's break that down, right? I mean, if you have autonomy and you have a good, I guess, grasp on autonomy as well, first of all, that's going to allow you to be able to make your own decisions. Which I, I, I know that sounds very baseline, right? But, you know, um, as a leader, you are required to take the initiative to make a lot of decisions, you know, and those might not be easy decisions to make as well. So h- having that basis and I guess being able to have that power, because I, I mean, I don't know about you as well, but I think um, for me personally, I feel like... Um, by nature, I'm the kind of person that always wants to ask for permission, which, yeah, you know, it, uh, occasionally that is what you should be doing. But when it comes to leadership and self-leadership even, sometimes you just have to get things done and you just have to take the initiative. And that is all part of autonomy, right? Yeah, I think it, it's, it, it proves, right, uh, living in this kind of culture, we... Tend to we tend to ask for permission. We tend to look around before we make a decision and say, okay, gauge the room, is everybody on board? Mm-hmm. Like we're very collaborative, we are very um, community-like, right? But a lot of leaders, one of the key traits is that they are able to juggle between independence and bringing a community together. Right. And sometimes decisions on top or leaders have to make very tough decisions. So you can't you won't be able to make good decisions if you don't understand that you have the power over it mm-hmm. and you are also accountable for it. Right, right. right. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I look at some of the leaders um, around me, just general in my life and also looking at other leaders who are more well-known. There's this point where people tend to look at accountability as a negative thing. Right. So usually when people say you have to be accountable, you have to be responsible, it usually ends up being like, because you 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 screwed up or you, know, you, made, you a made a mistake, you have to own it, right? 
But the truth is, being a leader, that accountability also takes on the triumphs and the successes mm. and fulfillment to an extent, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that's that's a very interesting take uh, when I was reflecting on this topic. I think we'll I think we'll talk a little bit more about accountability uh, later on. What I really want to hone in on now is like we keep bringing up culture, right? You know, as a yeah. big factor. So, to what extent does culture influence? I guess uh, one's natural um, comfort comfort level with autonomy. Mm. Well, speaking as a psychologist, uh, culture is almost everything, right? The way we are built, the way we grow up is very important. Our mm. upbringing, our influences, our environment. I mean, if you think, think about it, if you take two goldfish, right? One you put in a tank with like super nice bubbles and, you know, those kind of, I don't know what they call it, but the pumps, right? The beautiful yeah. pumps. Uh, you put in really nice uh, landscaping and stuff like that. Mm. That goldfish is going to like grow up being, feeling like they have everything in the world. Mm-hmm. Versus when you take a goldfish and put it in a cup or like a really limited space container mm-hmm. and with nothing and they had to survive. That shapes the way they think about outside. Mm. So it's a worldview, right? If you think about it, culture shapes that worldview. And if you're stuck in a culture that doesn't really allow you to see different ways things are being done, Mm -hmm. therefore you would think everything else outside is the same as your environment now. Mm. Right? So if you're in the, if you're in the Porsche environment or you're a very lucky goldfish, you're going to see as the world as everybody has what I have, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to enjoy my life versus the one who's trying to survive in a little container will be like, oh my God, life outside is horrible. Uh, We have to strive to even breathe. It really shapes how you see the world Mm -hmm. and how you interact with the world. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, would you say, I mean, Looking at, I guess, uh, the traditional, um, I, I guess, kind of Asian perspective on it, right? I mean, a lot of our education uh, as well when it comes to uh, especially early education and uh, I guess public education as well tends to be focused a lot on, you know, rote learning and um, uh, academic or cognitive ability, which is very important. Uh, let me just stress. But, you know, I think uh, as we're beginning to learn, um a lot of the other skills like, you know, decision making, uh, social skills, all the things that are d- d- deemed soft skills, quote unquote, are becoming more and more important in the workplace as we go on. Right. So, I mean, again, building off of that, you know, what do you think about that? The fact that for a lot of people, especially here in uh, Asia and Malaysia in general, autonomy is not necessarily a, a concept that we are um, built to understand. Mm. I think maybe if I were to take a step back, I'm so mm. glad that the education system, I mean, not just in Malaysia, but globally has changed a mm-hmm. lot. Um, they have started to focus on soft skills, as they call it, especially, you know, character development, leadership, um, even communication or interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. I think that's something I want to like be thankful about um, mm-hmm. that's happening around the world. But that being said, I think it's not just about the education system. I mean, if you think about it, we spend like maybe 40 to 50 hours a week in school or, you know, at work. Right. And then we go home to our families, our friends. And that's where the big chunk of where our culture also shapes it. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think um, generally speaking, I think Asian culture has always been known for its way of uh, discipline, structure, um, and therefore it limits the capability of somebody to say, hey, I actually have a place to decide based on the information I get, Mm -hmm. I have this amount of autonomy that I can work with, Mm. right? So for example, if, if if you think about like 
school kids, if you ask them like, what can you actually make a decision on? Most likely they will say, most likely I will be able to choose a snack mm. today. Right? It's so limited. But it's okay because eventually that autonomy must grow with the child. Mm. The problem with us is that we don't grow with that, right? If you're stuck in the environment and until you're 18, your parents are going to tell you, you're going to take this degree, you're going to study this, you're going to come out, you're going to work. Mm. And, and it goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And then you go into work, your boss tells you what to do. You go into, I don't know, when you're married, maybe your husband or wife tells you what to do. Mm. And then your children. So it never really ends unless we are able to take a step back and say, hey, actually, I'm supposed to have independence in this space mm-hmm. to make my decision. Mm. I mean, just to play uh, devil's advocate for a second here, right? Uh, what would you say to people who, you know, might see that uh, I have to make my own decisions, I have to be independent, you know? What would you say to people who might f- frame that as being selfish or like, you know, self-motivated? Hmm. Okay, let me give you a scenario, right? Mm. So I, I I talk about this a bit a lot with uh, people who I work with and generally with my family as well. So mm. I said that, especially older siblings, um, I tell this to my sister a lot, <laughs> when you make a decision, you got to own it, mm-hmm. right? The problem with a lot of people, and they don't realise this, is that when they make the decision out of kindness or consideration, right? And it's not wrong, mm-hmm. But when something happens that is counterproductive of what is expected as an outcome, mm. they will be like, yeah, I did it for you. Mm. I did it because I cared. Uh, I did it because I didn't want people to get hurt. The intention was good. But you see, it turns into a blaming problem. Right. I blame you because I made the decision, but the outcome was hurting me and therefore I can say it's your, your fault right. that I made a decision. Which is kind of nonsense if you take a step back and look at it like, Oh, really? Mm. It's my fault now? Um, so, so yeah, that, that kind of context, I think it's quite important to look at it, to take a break and say whether my intentions are aligned with my decisions, mm. whether I, do I really own it regardless of the consequence mm. or do I only own it if it's good? Mm-hmm. So I guess, um, you know, taking that a step further, right? If you do not have the ability or the, I guess, permission to make your own decisions, that also means that any consequences of any decisions you make based on what other people want, you kind of want to ascribe it to them and you are not yes. going to be, as you mentioned, accountable for it because in your uh, in your way of logic, you did not want to make that decision or it wasn't the decision that you wanted to make. Therefore, the consequences are also not yours. Correct. Mm. And, and, and one more thing to point out is that most often than not, they don't really know what they want. Mm-hmm. Because they've never had the chance to really explore, actually, what do I want to decide on? Yeah. And we've sort of added another element into the conversation, which is also accountability. Now, I think it's fair to say that, especially in recent times, we have come to understand the role of accountability and leadership uh, a lot more. So can we uh, delve a little deeper into that as well? Yeah, I I think I mentioned this earlier, and Mm -hmm. I want to go deeper into that as well. The the notion of the, or in psychological terms, I guess we call it, our schema around accountability is usually very negative, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, when we look at what leaders have made decisions on, when the outcome was bad, is that it brings a lot of solidarity. It brings a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. It also brings a lot of um, relevance, right? Even though I'm not a big leader, I can relate to your failures and your ownership over those failures. Mm-hmm. And I 
respect you for it, right? There's a lot of courage and bravery that comes with that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if I were one of the, my favorite stories or things that really made me look at accountability in a very interesting light is um, the, the, the story of the uh, prime minister in South Korea, right? And mm-hmm. the sinking ship, uh, the tragedy that happened uh, some time ago. And um, he resigned because he wanted to be accountable for his failure. Mm-hmm. And like I say, you know, we often relate accountability to when only when things are really bad, mm. right? Tragedy or things happening that is not great. Um, and we see that a lot. Mm. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people gave him a lot of respect after that. Right. Right. And I think that's a very amazing, interesting human thing to mm. do. Well, we're going to take a short break, but after that, I will continue this conversation about autonomy, freedom, and leadership with Andrea Chu, marketing strategist of Leaderonomics, here on Razor Game on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong and today I'm speaking to Andrea Chu, marketing strategist of Leaderonomics. This is part of our monthly show with Leaderonomics and today we've been discussing the ideas of autonomy and freedom and leadership and what is the relationship between all that. I think what is interesting is that autonomy is the ability to make our own choices and that includes not necessarily always making the right choice, right? I think that's really important to note that we uh, and this is something I think I've talked about on Raise Your Game several times as well, but we have to be allowed to make mistakes in order to learn. Right. But the the difference between, I think, um, allowing um, the difference between autonomy being uh, something positive and something constructive, as opposed to, you know, making your own choices and that maybe being a bad thing is that acknowledgement of, all right, if I do have the freedom to make choices and I make one that does not work out or is negative, the difference between okay, I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to um, fully accept that that was because I made that choice and I'm going to either find a way to fix it or, like you said, hold myself accountable for it versus, oh, I made a bad choice, but eh, you know, <laughs> like this is this is just something that's happening and, uh, you know, it's someone else's problem. You know, right? I mean, there's like a, yeah. there's that difference and that is what brings that kind of respect and solidarity that you talk about, right? It's that mm-hmm. um, acceptance of, you know, Yes, uh, I have autonomy to make my own decisions, but I also have to balance that with the responsibility to hold myself accountable for those as well. Yeah. Mm. Okay, interesting. Now, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about, obviously you mentioned that uh, example of, uh, of of the South Korean Prime Minister, but let's bring that into the workplace. What is a great example mm-hmm. of, you know, uh, looking at autonomy uh, and leadership in work at the workplace? There's a lot of different perspectives I'd love to share, but maybe let me speak from my own experience first. You know, this is something that I learned is very useful um, and is passed down from bosses and now I pass it down to my team members, right? We have to dedicate spaces for people to make decisions and to have autonomy over that space. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, if you have an intern with you, you can give them a space and say, hey, I want you to come up with ideas, how you do it, um, you know, what kind of ideas you bring to the table. There's no judgment here. Bring it as you are, mm-hmm. right? And let's talk about it and have that openness to listen to what the interns say. Now, that is a place of autonomy that they have. It becomes very clear to a person that I actually have freedom to do that. Um, unfortunately, a lot of workplaces 
this is not communicated clearly mm. or it's most likely in a very fishy state of, um, yeah, go and give me ideas. Like it, it's not as clear as it can be, right? Mm. So for example, one of the things I learned in communicating this is to use the words like, you have the freedom to come with your ideas or your mm. answers. You have the freedom to do this presentation as creative as you like, right? It's really up to you. Mm. Um, that's the first step. Now, the second one is, when they when the person comes with ideas now as as a leader i think it's very important to respect the freedom you have given to somebody right so i see this a lot and i think it's a hard habit to change because we're so used to being in control of things right mm-hmm. so when we give somebody the freedom it's it's it, we get very itchy and we want to take that back we want to control some part of it right mm. um and as a leader, every time we, we tell somebody, we give you this space to do whatever you want or think about certain things that you want, we have to give them that space mm-hmm. and not micromanage, you know, bug them about it or even being very judgmental of the things that they've come up with and like, oh, that's not my standards or that's not my expectation. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, you never convey those expectations, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not full autonomy. I think conveying expectations is one thing, but also the fact that if you want someone if you want to give someone the freedom to come up with new ideas, you can't hold them to what your ideas are because those yes. won't be new ideas then as a result. Uh, you know, I think that that's really interesting, you know. Um, and also, I think in addition to the language used around um, giving your team uh, that space, but it's also about the actions and the consequences of that, right? Let's say you do give, uh, you know, an intern or a, a colleague that space to experiment, to try new things, to come up with new questions, but nothing ever comes of it. There's no results. Like you never use their ideas. You never take their ideas into account because, yeah, you want them to come up with new stuff, but we've also always done it this way. Then, you know, that autonomy will also slowly start to sort of drain from them as well, right? Because what is the point of having the freedom of choice if the choices don't have any consequences? Yes, correct. Mm. So I think it comes back to that accountability, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, if I were to give a colleague of mine or, or a team member and say, hey, um, you're going to be in charge of this project. Mm. How you do it, come with a proposal and let's talk about it. Mm. I think that's very key because I don't see autonomy or independence of a space as a whole lump sum. Yep. Right? Uh, I think a lot of leaders share this with me. You, you always have to gauge where this person is at and slowly allow them to shape into something that you think would be their potential, mm-hmm. right? And that must be communicated. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I would say, okay, you got to give me an idea. This is the deadline. How you do it, how you present it is all up to you. So, the person knows, okay, my freedom is to come up with ideas, um, how I present it, but I have a deadline. Mm. Now, that I don't have a freedom at because I am accountable to my boss who tells me a deadline. Mm-hmm. Right, so so there must be some kind of gauge of what kind of freedom are you giving, mm-hmm. um, and can the also this is more of a consideration and more of a thoughtful leadership perspective is that you need to think of if this person fails to come to, um, you know, give you ideas, will this person be able to take that consequence? Mm-hmm. Will they be able to be accountable? of not having ideas mm-hmm. and how are you going to help them move from that? Right. I think some people forget that part mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, right, I give you the freedom, right? You make your choices, right? You show me that you can't, therefore, goodbye. Mm. Um, it doesn't work that way. As, as you know, being a leader, that, that doesn't work. 
Yeah. For anybody. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think you shouldn't be punishing people if they struggle with uh, being given that sort of autonomy. You know, that's should be, that should be a point where you think, all right, well, maybe they were not ready for that. So how can I support them? And help them to grow so that they are able to handle this level of autonomy. From there, let's start to wrap the conversation up. For people who struggle a lot with that, who struggle with feeling, um, not only feeling like they maybe don't have enough autonomy, but even when they're given it, they don't kind of know what to do with it, right? I mean, how can we sort of rebuild that or gain that sense of autonomy as adults? Let me begin with something a bit more compassionate and more empathetic. It's mm. okay if you're at any state, even if you're at 50 years old and you realize that, oh no, I have so much autonomy and I don't know what to do with mm-hmm. it all. I've never really explored my own independence in making decisions. It's never too late to start, right? Um, let me begin with that. I think the second one is I like giving step-by-step processes. Um, so I hope this is is helpful. It's based on my own experience, uh, me being a psych graduate and also because I'm a very creative uh, person who likes to express. So I've packed it into four steps that possibly this could help you, mm. right? So the first thing is, as somebody who has not enjoyed or explored autonomy, first thing is to choose something that you enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. A medium of expression, if I can call it. Whether it's art, it's journaling, you know, sending yourself voice notes like I do on my WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Um, anything you enjoy. It can be music. It can be really anything of that sort. There is no boundaries to what you enjoy doing. It can be a hobby as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Using that medium, you step one is to observe yourself, right? Um, we tend not to observe ourselves a lot because we are either doing a certain routine or our own habits, going live as you are, and you don't really stop to look at, hey, why am I doing this all the time? Right. All right. Yeah, and we, do, we sometimes don't notice patterns of ourselves until somebody points it out, right? So the first thing is learn to observe yourself. It's sometimes like a outside the body experience in my opinion mm-hmm. you come out of it and like hey you know I realised that if I, I go to this restaurant I always order the same thing mm-hmm. every single time and I'm guilty of this because I love ordering the same food <laughs> I'm not sure about you <laughs> but that's what I do right but I guess right then it's going into alright am I ordering the same food because I genuinely enjoy eating the same food over and over again which is totally fine by the way yes. or am I ordering it just because I've sort of defaulted to it and or maybe it was recommended to me and I don't really I never really thought about trying new things or something like that yes exactly that's right right so the the thing about here is to ask yourself this question mm-hmm. do I do certain routines mm-hmm. or why do I have a certain habit um, and ask yourself and there is no right or wrong answer mm-hmm. it's more of an exploring of hmm where did this come from right was it because like you say you know it, it, generally I love the food and I like it so much mm-hmm. I'm going to eat it all the time mm-hmm. or is it more because your culture and your environment has shaped you in such a way that you usually have a certain budget that you have to spend, mm-hmm. a certain type of food that you eat, and people have um, sort of recommended, this is great, therefore I will eat it. Mm. Right. So that's the question you ask. Okay. Now, the second step is, have you thought about other ways of doing a certain routine? Right. So for example, if you always order the same food in a restaurant, maybe this time you go and order something else. Mm-hmm. Now the key here is to acknowledge or rather explore how you feel about that. Mm. Right, so I have friends who are like this, and me myself. If I were to go and order a different food, I feel really uncomfortable. Mm. I feel like I'm missing out on the best food in the world, or like, oh man, you know, I should have just ordered that. Mm. I would be so it would be so easy if I just get what I ate. Right. Um. So that kind of feelings and and um, emotions that is running through your head or your thoughts, even 
think about it and not note it down, right? Remember the medium of expression they have? Mm-hmm. Do it, write it down, uh, write about it, blog about it, anything of, of that sort. Mm-hmm. Draw it out if you want to. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you start pinpointing how you feel about change. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why I point out change is because when you are starting to acknowledge your autonomy and your independence, it is a change. Mm. It is a change of the way you do things, the way you think about things. So is it excitement? Is it fear? Is it uncomfortable? Is it actually quite interesting? Or is it just uh, whatever? Mm. You know, those kind of emotions, write it up. Now, moving on to step three, once you identify the emotion or that mix of emotions, now, you've got to think about the outcome of the change. Now, mm-hmm. this is where my psychology comes into place a lot, is that in order to sustain a change or understand the reason behind the change of habit or routine is that motivation, right? And most of us are highly motivated by the outcome of that change. Like an ROI or like a cost-benefit analysis. If I do this, right, what do I get out of it? Um, that's a very good question and it's okay to ask that question. Mm. So ask that question. If I would go to the restaurant, change the, the, the food I eat, what's the outcome? Mm-hmm. Possibly I would try something that I've never tried before. Maybe I'll like something new. Um, and all these kind of things that can come out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? So when you ask your, yourself this question in this step, whether this change is actually making me a better person mm-hmm. or a happier person or whatever the goal is uh, for yourself, right? Right. That is your anchor to motivate yourself to keep going at it, mm. right? And, you know, just throw away any reasons of inconvenience, discomfort. I'll never change. This is who I am kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, we owe it to ourselves. Mm. We owe it to ourselves to explore our own independence yeah. in everything that we do. To at least try. Yeah. Mm. And if you don't like it and you think that's enough, maybe another time. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So what's yeah. that for? All right, step four is lastly to make a commitment to find out why you like to live differently, mm. right? So this applies whether it's as simple as ordering your food up till as a manager or as an employee or just as a person. Mm. I think the best part is everything that you do is really on you. Mm. Now, now, if some of you feel like, oh my goodness, everything is on me and you're panicking, most likely we got to revisit why you feel that way as well. Right. Right. Um, I find it exhilarating to know that everything I do, I'm accountable for it. Mm. And and it gives me a lot of freedom that comes with it because I'm like, wow, I can actually make my own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the last step. Once you have that motivation in step three, you understand the outcome, make a commitment to do that. That involves time, effort, or different ways of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I would love to share a more structured approach that you can try. So this is like a... a a psychological theory that we learn a lot and it's actually heavily practiced in cognitive behavioral therapy or what we call CBT, mm-hmm. um, something called the ABC model. Okay. All right. So, so check it out, Google it. It's all on the web and it's very useful. And if you are terrified of that, maybe take a step back and look at something called the thought record worksheet. Mm-hmm. So use it in your medium of expression. You just got to record certain patterns, understand where those thoughts are coming from, and if you want to change them, how can you change them, um, and understanding the reason behind everything that you do. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, gaining a better sense of your autonomy will help you to make, you know, more decisions, and that in turn will help you to be more accountable, and that in turn will make you a better leader and hopefully person. 
Yes. Nice. All right. Well, that is about it for today's chat. But thank you very much, Andrea, for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Christine. This has been Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. I've been speaking to Andrea Chu, marketing strategist of Leronomics for, of course, our monthly Leronomics show. If you missed any of today's conversation and you want to catch up or refresh your memory, you can go ahead and find the podcast. It's on both our app, which is available on our Apple App Store and Google Play, or the website bfm.my. You can listen to and download the podcast on there as well. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.